0: Overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Welcome to Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. Today, we are honored to have another amazing educator, Mr. Muhammad Abdukawi. He is a fairly new principal of a continuation high school, and I know that he is eager to tell us more about his school and community. Tell us about yourself.
1: Thank you for having me, Dr. Mashana. Great uh, great honor and great pleasure. Of course. You're welcome. Thank you. So again, my name is Muhammad Abdukawi. I've been very fortunate to be the K-12 education world since 1997. So the first 11-12 years, I served as a classroom teacher and an academic intervention coordinator. And for about the last 12 years or so, I've served as an administrator, being a D to students the first year. And the next decade, I served as an assistant principal at Pomona High School, wow. which was a great experience. I was blessed to Received the opportunity to serve here as the principal at uh, Delmore High School, which is a continuation here in San Gabriel, uh, January of this year. So just finished about uh, six months here and just had our, uh, our first graduating class about a month ago.
0: Congratulations you. to you, you and your school community.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Please tell us how the roles you've played in education has given shape to who you are today,
1: professionally and personally. Yeah, I think I might be in in a pretty distinct minority in that I think my personal and professional lives really blur. Pretty much what you see at work is who you would see like in in my personal life as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And I
1: I think in a lot of ways, at the beginning, my, my personal life really influenced my professional life because I'm basically coming in as an educator with not necessarily a lot of educators, you know, experience in terms of the training and actual practical practice of the profession so at the the early stages it was really my personal my upbringing you know and the exposure you know to to mentors parents foremost but but mentors and just people i was less to interact with throughout my life so that was primarily what what fueled my my early stages in as an educator but as time went on my professional life really began to influence me personally particularly as a father because uh, as a parent, you know, we all have expectations, you know, of our children, given that, you know, we, we spent time and we just expect things to happen when we say so. As an educator, you know, we don't deal with, with other people's children like that. We're typically more patient. We play the process out. You know, we really invest in the process, get an opportunity to be able to hear students out, understand yeah. where students are coming from, you know, learn more about their interests, the nuances of their personality. And just really more deliberate and very, you know, intentional in the communication. So I've really tried to do that, you know, in my personal life with my interaction with with my children. So that, that's helped me tremendously. So, yeah, for me, I'm pretty much I'm, I'm the same way at home, pretty much the way I'm at work. And I would say that, too.
0: I've had an opportunity to interact with you professionally and outside of work. And you are consistent. I really appreciate what you shared about how some of the strategies you use that work actually helped you in your personal life. That's an interesting uh, perspective. Speaking from the chair that you sit in now, what is the most important teaching and learning issue of today? Not necessarily
1: pandemic-related. I think really honing in on how to meet students where they are. So at at one point, I think we tried to take more like just a universal template and just, you know, attempt to treat everyone the same. But I think really understanding, you know, where students are coming from and being more sophisticated in how we, you know, how we differentiate Mm -hmm. and really, you know, and meet the needs of students and connect the educational process to their future. That's really why I love high school, because in high school, we see the rewards, you know, so quick. Whereas if you're an elementary teacher, administrator, it takes years before you really get a chance to, to see the, the students out in the real world. Where in high school, we had those opportunities within just a matter of years. You know, you'll see a student walking in the hallways, and then you see the student out in the world doing what they're passionate about doing. So that that's really... That is so true. High school has
0: a type of instant gratification. Uh, You work really hard with young people and, you know, you do want to see how they're developing and you get a sense of fulfillment out of that. I always chuckled when I was in a high school setting because kids who would really try to be a knucklehead in the ninth grade, You see them in the eleventh and twelfth grade, and they're like, "Hi, Dr. Mashana, you're my favorite teacher. You were always my favorite teacher." And I'm like, "Really?" But they've matured so much, and then they tell you things like, "I can tell you really cared about me. You tried hard to
1: educate me, and I appreciate that." We actually have a, a two students that we worked with. We were at Pomona High School together, where one is a teacher there now, and the other. So one was a class of 2015 who is now a teacher at Pomona high, a special needs teacher. And then we also have a young man who graduated in 2011 who taught at Pomona for the last three years. And now was an assistant principal at Pomona that we both work with. He's class of 2011 from Pomona. So, so we really get a chance to like, to see it happen, you know, so quickly.
0: That is so beautiful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah.
0: switched to a different district and a student that I had when I was, I think only my second year teaching, is now a colleague
1: that's beautiful to see it is it is there, there's <laughs> another part of that question too that i, I, I want to address that i think is really important because you asked the question about the, the what's so important to like teaching and learning now before i my philosophy really was more like education just like purely for the sake of education just the innate value of learning just knowledge in and of itself has value and i i'm still there but at the same time, I think given the reality of the world today, is that I think it, we need to be more skill oriented. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, be maintaining that balance and understanding we just have a love for, for knowledge just for the sake of it. But at the same time, tapping into those interests of students
0: and so being true. able
1: to facilitate programs that will allow the development of those skills so that the students will have some serious opportunities when they leave for, you know, because we say college and career. So bringing more meaning to that. Exactly. So like, like even more specifically, like even going into like real meaningful, like CTE programs, because before a lot yes. of times, a lot of our sites, you know, our career technical education programs were, they were in some respects, kind of like just checking boxes where students may be able to say they did the voc ed, but they really didn't possess the skills, mm-hmm. you know, get the necessary certification so I see a lot of growth because one it's more important now because we've stated it, you know, and you see more people are getting more sophisticated and, you know, in the development of the CTE programs from, from the course offerings to actually going out and networking, you know, with, with the broader community. So I think that's critical is like really having like being more, more skill focused. Do you think that diversity and inclusion
0: methodologies are important? Why or why not?
1: I, Dr. Mishan I love your questions. They're so thought provoking cuz there's there's no there's no simplified answer to any question that you've <laughs> posed so far. So again here I'm I'm a mixed bag. I think as you know as an administrator, as a teacher, counselor, any any faculty staff person, yeah, I think that that we have to be 100% in support of making it systemic, right? Like years ago we were we were in a training And there was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Fergus. And he made a statement. He said, anything that we're not doing formally, we're not doing. So when we say that we know we're doing these things, but if we don't really have any formal program that's part of our system, then we can't really say that we're doing it to the extent that it should be done. So I think anybody that's working in this realm, that should be a priority for, you know, whether we're talking about, you know, racial, ethnic, gender. And then making sure that the students are really receiving, you know, equitable access and not only access, but making sure that programs are geared to be able to support students. Exactly. And then we're talking about particularly with with black students. There's really not there's not a lot, you know, where there's much more support. Like we're looking like English language developer, you know, students in those stages of their their educational development. There's very specific programs. And then we've seen the. Even though there's still room to improve, there's clear fruit that's been born from those programs because now the largest ethnic group, and it's as, as it should be, you know, relative to population, the largest ethnic group in the UC system right now are people that are coming from Spanish-speaking homes. So, so I think that having those, those clear, those English language learner programs mm-hmm. has definitely you know, helped those students because one, it's validated their culture and it's, it's provided a certain level of comfort. And then, you know, in addition to the to the intangible, they're getting the tangible pedagogical support, in classrooms, and in the maintenance of their primary language, and also in the uh, the attainment of you know the language of instruction. So I think that people such as ourselves, you know, no matter where we may work, we need to find ways to uh, to collaborate to make sure that there's policies in place that make sure that. The needs and it's, it's not a, we're, clearly we're not a monolithic group, but making sure that the in a systemic way that the needs of, of black students and families are discussed and that the families and students are at the table and that we really work towards, you know, developing programs, approaches that meet the, you know, the needs of our students to be successful. I agree
0: with that 100 percent. I'd like to even share an example from my yeah. personal life. I uh, was raised by my grandmother and my mother in the same house. And my grandmother migrated from Mississippi to California when my mother was 11. Yes. And you learn to speak from the people in your home. Yes. So my first language, so to speak, was a type of broken English. Yeah, And when I went to school, I remember experiencing... A degree of shame because I didn't speak in a way that was expected of me, yes. and I didn't—I didn't even know it until I arrived at school. Yes. So the language of school is certainly something where I needed a targeted approach just to help me to get up to speed. So certainly, I could have received language help. Yes. <laughs> I could have received similar support to that that we often see given to our English language learners. And, you know, it's all important and we all need different things. And I love what you're saying because it's give every student what they need. We're not excluding anyone. White kids need to receive according to their needs. Black and brown students, everybody, special ed. And quite honestly, it's every child's right to have us do everything that we can to see who they are
1: and give them they need. That's heavy. I mean, really, I mean, if we just stayed stuck on that, if we just didn't even move, like for 10 years, you just said, like, it's our job to see who they are. Exactly. I'm an optimistic person, but I'm, I also deal with reality. I don't think that's the vast majority of, of where we're at right now to like, to really see who they are.
0: This is true. And I, that's why I appreciate that we're in a season where it's coming more to the forefront, the importance of making sure that the education that students are receiving is diversified, meaning things like have literature That represents all ethnic backgrounds, all cultures, because we know that when you see people who look like you, whether it's in a book, whether it's on television, whether it's literally in front of you, your principal, your teacher, it tells you you can do it in a way that is so powerful. What are some of the ways that you've observed parents unknowingly hindering their child's growth as a student? We know they have their kids' best interests at heart, but sometimes they unknowingly
1: might hinder a bit. You know what? That's interesting because that's really the the back end of the other question, because the question relative to inclusion, because I I, I say definitely as a system and as a person who works within the system, that's something we definitely have to do, right? We have to put things in place uh, systemically, right? But on a personal level, Right. I think there needs to be uh, more communication like across the board, whether, you know, from from people that actually formally work in the, the educational world, such as ourselves, people in different, you know, stratas of the society doing different things that we really collaborate. Because, I, again, I'm going back. I know you asked the question in general. If I could, I want to kind of address this from a, from a black parent parent perspective, I can come back and address it in general.
0: OK. Whether
1: this is related to the inclusion. I think. Sometimes there's a few things that could hinder development in school. One is we we might not have had the best of experience ourselves, right, in school. So then we could project that upon our students and it could be very well found, right? There could be a level of mistrust. This is definitely probably more sublime, but the expectations to do really well aren't necessarily there. So I think every parent, and again, this is where we could, I think we could help coach each other on.
0: So you're saying that you've seen in certain populations maybe a learned behavior that's not so good and it's being passed down yes. uh, without even
1: really realizing it. Without even realizing it. It's totally legitimate, you know what I'm saying, because the experiences are real. We've all had some very real experiences like that in school. So, so how do we, you know, support people? And I think, so that's more like the the part. So, so helping each other and, you know, help coaching each other up and how to be able to enter into the system and how do we get everything out of this educational system we possibly can. So, I like
0: the way you're answering this question because my question said, how have you observed parents unknowingly hindering? But yeah. I like that You included educators as playing a role in filling that gap. So parents need to engage more with school so that educators can then educate them about some of the ways that they may need to
1: support their child. Yeah, because we just continually learn from each other. So how do we keep developing those relationships and then learn where people are coming from?
0: I think you're really pointing to something that's so important. We sometimes don't even know that we are operating under these learned behaviors, yes. and by exposing ourselves to larger groups, the groups can help us see things that maybe we otherwise would not have actually paid attention to or realized.
1: yeah I'm in a very interesting dynamic here because here, the majority population. Are Asian students mostly Chinese? You know, with a significant population of Vietnamese as well. So this majority population is Asian. So that's reflective at the the comprehensive high school, right? Yes. But at the continuation high school, the vast majority of the population is coming from Spanish speaking households. Right on the other side of eighty five percent. So there's some clear things that are happening. You know, with that population which is very similar, you know, to the same we've seen, you know, happening with black families throughout much of the, you know, the K through 12 world. So a lot of it, again, is like not knowing, because when I get these, the kids here, the students are very capable, right? Yes. They just didn't really like know how to really access what was being offered at the comprehensive school. Yes. That you know, makes so a much certain, sense. certain level of competition. Right. And they they couldn't rise to it, not because they didn't have the skill set, they just didn't know how to play the game. As you know,
0: I was uh, a principal of a continuation high school a few years back, too, and I certainly saw that. And one of the beautiful things, though, about the continuation school environment is you see kids who couldn't quite figure out how to thrive in the comprehensive high school. Yes. And it turns around for them. They become the student leadership yes. at the in the smaller environment. Yes. And it's a misconception for people to think that everyone at a continuation school isn't bright or they have some kind of discipline problem. There are students in the continuation school who are straight A students, but maybe they had a certain anxiety level being in the comprehensive setting. So many opportunities that you have to work with kids wherever they are and in a more personalized way.
1: The Black colleges are are like, there's a myriad of Black schools. There's about a hundred schools in the country. And then there's like, say maybe 10 to 12, like a very selective admissions, right? The the Hamptons, the, the FAMU's, the Spellmans, the Morehouse's, right? The Howard's. And then you have schools that are more in the middle. And then you have schools that have very liberal admissions, right? That pretty much they'll give anybody a shot. So like in, in, in many respects, they're almost like continuation high schools of the college world, right? And that's where I graduated from. I graduated from Central State University in Ohio. And that's that's what Central State was known for was like giving anybody a chance. So, so they would take people that maybe didn't necessarily have like the skills. They had the innate ability, but they didn't have, you know, necessarily the skills. But by the time you leave, I mean, you know, you're ready. So me, myself, I don't think coming out of high school, like if I would have went, you know, to a predominantly white institution. I don't think I would have fared as well. Hmm. Because because I needed that I needed that personal support. You know, I needed those relationships. So in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm very, you know, much akin, you know, to the students, you know, we have here capable, but just need need more need programs that are more tailored to the, to the needs. And really, that would even fit into comprehensive as well. Right. Like you just like you said earlier, like really getting to know who our students are, because if, if we apply that in any setting. It's going to optimize, you know, the results for our students.
0: Relationships are so key uh, to just, I mean, is it not key in any facet of life? Mm. (laughs) Again, that's part of meeting students' needs. Kids are coming to school with so many things. Uh, It's not, educating a kid is not just simply throwing a math book in their face or a work of literature. You have to really apply yourself to understand who the children are sitting in front of you and what do they need that will help them connect to the material that you are wanting to teach them.
1: When the students know you really love them. Absolutely. Yeah. When they, when they sense that, right. It's not so much even what you say, but they kind of, cause they're always peeping us out.
0: And I've seen that play out with you in so many ways. Certainly in the time that we spent working together, All of us administrators saw that you just had a certain way of connecting with students that, I mean, you could reach students that the rest of us may not have been able to reach. And I'm sure we can all say that. I can say that too. But I think you have a unique gift. And you know what? Let's just call it what it is. It's not all just gifting. It's effort. It's time. It's patience.
1: Wow. Thank you. That's that's very humbling. Man, that's deep. That's deep.
0: It's, it's real. You know, what's so interesting is I do have a background in the arts, and I believe that no matter what field you work in, whatever your passions are, whatever treasures you have inside of yourself, yeah. be willing to share it because you don't know who you're going to touch in what way you're going to touch them. So I would share that sometimes with an adult audience, at work. And sometimes I would share it with students yes. because I wanted to let them know that it's okay to be you yes. and to use what's unique about you to draw others in. Yes. It's my hope that people will embrace what's unique and the treasures that they have inside of them wow. and value them to the extent that they know that it's worth it to share it with other people.
1: Man, that's that's you're you hitting on the essence of the coming educational world. That's the paradigm shift right there. It's like, how do we bring what you just said to fruition on a systemic level? How does that become the norm, right? I think
0: we have to certainly be open to the idea that we all know at this point in our lives that part of success is failure. And letting it be okay to fall on your face and get back up. We have gotten, I think we've fallen into this thing in school where if it's not an A, if it's not a B, if it's right. not right. really good the first time, something's right. wrong. Well, I can tell you that the poem that you're talking about, I spent hours rehearsing and practicing wow. Wow. whatever you give your attention to and practice, yes. and you go into it knowing that you don't have to be perfect right away.
1: What attracted you to the arts?
0: What attracted me to the arts is, I think, the gifting that was already inside of me. I tried to write when I was very, very young, writing poems for my parents for holidays. I mean, of course, we'd read them today and chuckle, but it's interesting that I can literally trace it back that far that at six, seven years old, I was trying to give expression in written form. Then I stopped for many years and I took it back up in middle school when a teacher saw this shy nervous individual which is me and gave me the poem phenomenal woman by maya angelou to recite and it spoke to me and changed my life in so many ways believe it or not my passion for writing came back by reading her words or reciting her words and my my confidence level pride in being a black woman a black girl at the time, it gave me life in so many different ways, the response that I got from audiences. So that kind of just stirred up what was already inside of me. And see, that was a school situation. And we need to keep setting kids up for exploring things that will help them discover what ignites what's already inside of them, their passions that they may not even be aware of yet. What's your advice to parents who find it difficult because of work or illness or whatever the case may be to engage with their child's school through PTA, parent teacher
1: conference, assemblies, etc.? I would honor what's preventing them from being able to participate on that level. And then I would respectfully, very respectfully say, well, we still got to find a way to participate. I mean, whether it's, you know, whether it's, it's me. If we're whether we're going via Zoom, right, or whether it's sharing minutes from you know from the school site council meeting or the PTA meeting, and then giving students or giving parents rather families, you know, opportunities to be able to to find out what's going on and be able to provide feedback. Mm -hmm. Because what I found out is like, no matter how well intended people are, most people, with the exception of just that very rare. Person performs a little better when they know that the, the more people are involved. It is so
0: true. So true. And I thought that's the response that someone might give to the question about things that you've observed parents unknowingly do that hinders their child's growth. Yes. I think a lot of parents still really just don't quite understand how important it is to be. Very active and very engaged as often as you can with school yes. you your answer is very important in another way too. Ask the school, tell the school your situation, and ask them how they can uh, make it happen for you
1: Yes
0: so that's a joint responsibility. Yes, if yes. you have a situation like illness or working long hours. Ask your school. This is, Say this is my situation. How can you help me engage? Because I really want to be involved. Yeah. And together you can collaborate and come up with a plan that will yeah.
1: work. Are you helped me flesh that idea because I have that. That's my idea. Right. But you just brought much more detail to it.
0: But what shouldn't be an option is just saying I absolutely can't.
1: Right. No, you can't do that. (laughs) You can't do that.
0: It's such a game changer when, let's just be honest, when educators know that a parent is very, very involved, your attention level on that student, your, let's just be honest. Although we really try to reach out and be there for all the kids, it's almost like when the body has an injury, the blood rushes to that area Yes. When there's a parent really staying involved, it forces you to to do more, even when you're having a, a tough day.
1: Yeah. And, and it helps, I think, even develop the relationship with with the student more. Yes. It's you know, so when, true. When, when the parents in the school are communicating, because the whole point of our communication is that student anyway, that student is important. I think it really helps the relationship, you know, with the, with the school to the to the student.
0: It's so true. And I was talking to a teacher the other day and she said that she would use surrogates. So she wow. would talk to her her village of adults in her life it's that she trusts, down. her friends and family that she trusts. And she wow. would say, you know what, I can't make it to this meeting, but one of us needs to. Wow. Who's going to do it? Who's wow. going to be there? How do we go to the next level of action as educators to help support students and parents and keeping the conversation real? But also, I really wanted these conversations to expose things about school that maybe parents don't normally consider hearing educators discussing these matters and even how we do take care of these things as it relates to our own children, just to give them a little more insight and information to go to the next level uh, with their kid and supporting their kids in school. So that's the goal of this. And I hope that these candid conversations will certainly help them catch on to some things. I know that there's a lot of parents out there who are already very knowledgeable. There's educators out there who's already very knowledgeable. But for those who need some extra support and you didn't make it to that parent-teacher conference or the PTA meeting at your school, this is another way that you can get that information. So thank you for sharing so candidly and helping me get this information out there. Being an educator is a demanding job what keeps you grounded to keep fighting for the success of other people's children
1: who um man i've just been i've been so blessed i mean it's just i mean so many people have poured into me
0: do you know how common an answer that is yeah. we remember those who have poured into us who touched our lives and those people who are able to stay in touch with that and remember That someone pulled you up, whether they spent extra time tutoring you, whether they just spent time valuing you and telling you you're beautiful, you're capable, whatever the case may be, speaking life to you. When you stay in touch with that, there is a passion that just helps guide you in life. And in our case, it's in the realm of education and, and the other facets of life where we are engaged but that's so true. And so many educators actually have that response. They remember a particular teacher and they
1: want to give that back yes. uh, to others. And my mother, she still does it. She's 90 hmm. years old, but I mean, like my whole life. How old is she? She's 90 years old. God willing, 91 in December. Such a blessing. Yes, yeah, a huge blessing. She always points to the good in people. I mean, she that's how she raised me, but I mean, that's... All my friends, people on the streets. You know, she used to be a meter maid. You know, write tickets downtown. So she's interacting with people like all day, every day. So just her constant, just seeing the best in people, and like really encouraging people. Right. Like no matter like what the circumstances are, like. But I think I really learned from her that like experiences don't really define you. You know, everybody. The Most High made everybody you know great and special in their own unique way. So like you might be having a bad moment, you might have bad behavior, it might even be a pattern of it, but that's not really who you are.
0: And guess what? As adults, we have our bad days sometimes. We are not always shining our brightest every moment of a given day. But when you when you are grounded and you know that the work that you do is important, you don't allow yourself to stay in windows like that. You know you have to bounce back for the kids. And also, I think it's good to be transparent with the kids and say, good. you know what, this is not my best day. I'm struggling today. I'm trying, but I'm doing my best to, to be here and present for you. And they get that. When you see them having a day like that and you say the same thing, you're teaching them, I see you. Yes. And I see that this is not your best day, yes. but we're going to regroup and get it together tomorrow, right? Woo. What's one gym? but you really want parents to hold on to that'll help them go to the next level
1: in assisting their kids to navigate This is cliche, right? Really like be exceedingly positive. It's really truthful because every day brings an opportunity. Like just to be optimistic and to be positive, you know, let your kids know that, I mean, they're great in and of themselves, right? They're just great because they're great.
0: And you reminded me, Before my daughter started school, because I had fear around math, I purposely built my daughter up in that area. If she ran to me at three years old or four years old and said, two plus two is four, and she'd run away, I'd say, Oh my goodness, you're so brilliant. You're so good at math. Guess what? Math is going to be your best subject in school. You're so good at math. Do you know? That to this day, my daughter soars in math.
1: Well, she hears your voice. She hears your voice, right? So that's the great thing and the worst thing about being a parent. Our kids hear their voice, our voices in their head. And if it's negative, it it has an
0: effect. And if it's positive, it has an effect. So be positive. I love your gift to, to our listeners, to our parents, and to whoever's listening that that wants to grab hold of it. Thanks so much, Mohammed, for taking this time to sit with me and share your insights, your wisdom, Woo. and your words with the audience for Envision Together, going Perfect. to our next level of best. I really, really appreciate it. Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together going to our Next Level of Best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.